Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. But uh, we're going to get at it. We're back in Ephesians. Um, I kind of teased Ephesians like a month ago, and then I disappeared from the pulpit for a month. Um, but we're back at it, and we're talking, about, we're talking about our identity and finding our identity. Um, it's such a, a complex world. I mean, I think when we think about identity today, um, I think the way in which we think about identity now compared to yesteryear is that we believe that identity is something uh, exceptionally customary, like like. Whatever you are today, tomorrow you could decide to be something completely different. Um, I want to blame all of this on the movie Into the Wild, okay? You guys remember this book and movie? Terrible garbage that they were feeding this generation. Like, you could just give up all your responsibility. You could say, forget my family. I don't love them anymore. And then you could just go into the woods and die which is what will happen to you if you change your identity every other day, okay? It's not sustainable. But we're so hungry and we're so desperate to know, to know who we are and, and to figure out who we are that, um, that we end up being wanderers for the rest of our life. And, and the Bible is so good and Scripture is so good and God is so good to us that he's, he's called, and, uh, called us out and given us an identity um, that is unique to Christians. It's a unique identity that he's given to his children, and we need to learn how to embrace that. And so that's what we're talking about. Um, I, I don't know, you know, if you have ever felt left out of something. Any of you have, a, like, anybody of you have, like, serious FOMO going on in your life? It's Friday night. Your friends are out. You know it. You know it. You know they are. They didn't call you. They didn't text you. Um, for me, this was, this was most uh, oppressive. This, this feeling of being left out was most oppressive in elementary school when they would pick teams at recess for sports. You guys know what I'm talking about? Um, you know, the ki- they're, they're setting up kickball. And everybody knows. Everybody knows you don't have a strong right foot. Right, um, and so they don't pick. They don't pick you, or like the you know, for basketball it was always different for me. So I can't. That was different, but but like in some other sports, you know, like I wouldn't be. I for sure wouldn't be picked first for like pickleball. If there's a pickleball tournament, I don't think someone would select me. Uh, you know, do this is. Uh, what is this game that they play out in the parking lot here with the box? That everybody's inside. Is there teams on that? No. no teams there. Individual sports is a way different thing. But everybody's felt left out, right? You know what that feels like. It's actually probably one of the most terrible feelings that you could, you could ever have is to feel like you don't belong. You know, Clementine and Eloise, my daughters, uh, Clementine's 10, Eloise is 6. They started at a new elementary school this year. And after the first couple weeks, um, Clementine began coming home and saying uh, how at recess that, no, that nobody wants to play with her. 
and that she can't seem to find new friends at the new school. And you guys, you, you know, like being the new girl at the new school, that's not an easy thing to do. And as a, as a father, I so desperately wanted to fix that for her, right? Like if I could just show up at the playground and make something happen, that would be great. But they, I don't think they would have that. I don't think that they would like the idea of just some random dude showing up on the playground, ensuring that his daughter, is someone's, you know, including her. That's not, that's, I wanted to fix it. And I wanted to fix it badly because I love her so much. And you know what? I think that's how our Father in Heaven feels uh, about us. I think He feels the same way. God wants you to know that you're accepted in Him. He wants you to know that from the beginning of the world, that he, He's included you in His eternal plan. It's like, it's like God has put together the sweetest heavenly retirement package. And uh, he set it up so perfectly, but, but there are some of us that are going to be excluded from the goodness of that gifting. There's some of us that are going to be on the outside of that blessing. Not because God has refused them or hasn't picked them, but because we've refused him. We'll be excluded because, because we refused him. It would be, you know, it'd be really odd if the kids at school every day were asking Clementine to play and they wanted her to be a part and they were loving towards her and she still came home every day and said that the kids at school don't like her. Like that would be real weird, wouldn't it? But conceptually, do you understand how, what, what I'm saying? That God loves us and he's got a plan for us. And he's, he's stored up in heaven gifts beyond our wildest imagination. The opportunity to be in his very presence and to know his love, not just spiritually, but bodily as well. To wrap our arms around Christ and to call him friend. And yet so many people, so many people, they sense that love, they know that love exists and they refuse him. And I know that there are people in this room right now that the verdict is out for you as it concerns Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that I hear the same old trope over and over again. After, after 20 years of ministry, I still hear young people say, yes, I believe, but no, I don't want to follow. Like, I know that God loves me, but it's just not time. I'm not ready yet. Man, God has invited every one of us into his heavenly plan. But the inheritance, the inheritance, it's reserved for those who've received his son. That's who it belongs to. Now today we're going to discuss what it means to be confident and secure in our lives and in our, our, in our identity because God has chosen us. He's included us for eternal blessing. Okay, are you ready for that? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to find our identity. Help us to find it, to find it in you. We need you so desperately. Life is so confusing. 
sin reigns, we're, we're, we're torn. We're torn between a world that's calling our name but doesn't know who we are and a God who knows who we are but we refuse his good name. Lord, we want the name that you've given us and we want the inheritance that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be people today that would receive your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, that they would put their faith in you and in him for the very first time. So give them grace today and give them ears to hear. Lord, give me clarity of speech. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. We will start here in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Let's start here by talking about Christ's blessedness, God's blessedness. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God the Father and Jesus are both to be blessed. We are supposed to attribute blessing to them. Now, this might sound confusing to you because the word blessed is used, the word blessed is used two different ways in Scripture. Okay, we see it used two different ways. And the first way, this is the one that we're most common with, uh, with um, because I, I think we see it in social media a lot. I think it, it, you know, in about 2015, the word blessed became like real popular all of a sudden. I don't really understand that whatsoever. But it was, like, it was like it had its moment in the sun, okay? And so it was often used this way, which I believe um, the, the way that the, the, the secular society was using it was using it in a very selfish way, you know? Um, but God is good to us. And so the very first way we, we often see the word blessed is, is this. It's to signify those who are the object of his glory, to signify those who are the object of God's glory, the object of his affection, the object of his goodness. We are the blessed. We are a blessed people. We are a people who God has poured out goodness on over and over and over again. His grace is extended to us at all times. We are a blessed people. But in this case, in this case, we see it used in the, oh, I'm sorry, yes. I keep looking at the screen, and I'm getting off. I should follow my notes. Go, bang. There you go. <laughs> Whenever we're at home and the, and the streaming service isn't, isn't working, like we, I got the cheap internet at home, and so the kids like to pretend they're shooting the screen to make the streaming come back on. Like if they're moving, they're like, bang, <laughs> bang. Hoping that like one time they'll do it and then the stream will pick back up. <laughs> Bang. All right. Okay. Psalm 84.4. And I, this, this passage is really interesting. Throughout this whole passage, it talks about all the ways in which we're blessed. Psalm 84.4 says, blessed are they that dwell in the house. In thy house, right? Is that true? 
Isn't that a blessing? The idea that we get to dwell with God in his house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed, verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And so these are all examples of the ways in which humanity and God's children are blessed because of his goodness towards us, his strength, his home, right? Our faith in him. We can trust him. Now, the second way is the way in which we see it used here in the passage. And that's to signify the one who is worthy of glory, okay? The one who is the subject of praise and worth. He is the blessed. He is the blessed. Psalms 72, 17 says, His name, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. He is the blessed one. He is the one. He is the one that is the subject of our praise. And we should attribute to him the glory that he deserves. In both uses of this word, glory is being attributed. Glory in our life because of Christ's goodness towards us. Or glory to God for he is Christ who is good. Right? Now, we must, by necessity, as a people who are subject to God's goodness, we must be people who pour out blessing on God. We must be a people who adore him. And just like, I don't know if you guys remember, at fall retreat, we, we talked about this. We talked about it again at the certainty conference. Kenny did. How the mighty men, when they came and, and they delivered that water before King David, water from the well of Bethlehem, when they sacrificed and gave of their, their blood, their sweat, their, their energy, and they warred a good fight and they poured themselves into that work and they, they, they came and they gathered that water from the well and they brought it before King David David knew in that moment that he was unworthy of the sacrifice. And because he was unworthy, he poured it out before the Lord to declare God's goodness, to declare God's blessedness, to make him the subject of worth. We are truly an unworthy people, unworthy of what we've been given. And because of that, and in our knowledge of that, we have to determine that we will see him in terms of his blessedness. Now, his blessedness is apparent to us in several different ways. And so for those of you who are taking note, one of the ways in which we discover how glorious God truly is, it becomes apparent to us in the revelation of his scriptures. 
His glory is apparent to us in the revelation of his scriptures. And so when we open the Bible and we see his character from page to page and we see all of the glory that's attributed to his name, we should be enlightened by that and it should cause us to worship. So it seems a real shame that so many of us read the pages of God's word and we're constantly looking for the book to be about us and not about him. We read the Bible in such a way that's so selfish. We're looking for ourselves in every verse, in every passage, and every page. We want to see what God has to say about us. And when we do that, we so often neglect all the wondrous things that it says about him. When we read God's word, is, is his blessedness revealed to us so that it causes us to worship his good name? His glory is also apparent to us in the revelation of his creation. Romans chapter 1 talks about this at length. That when we go outside and we look at the world that God's given us, despite the fact that it's a cursed world, it declares the goodness of his design. Everything is done with such precision. The sun, the moon, and the stars, they've been hung with such precision. The solar system Despite how small it is in terms of the galaxy and the scale of the universe, God has his eyes on us and he's built this thing with precision. We gain oxygen from the trees. We go outside and we, we don't even think about it. We don't even think about breathing. And yet God has built a world in which he's given us oxygen with plenty. And when we're not thinking about him, he's thinking about us. He holds his very creation together with a thought, with a word. And when we go outside, we just go about our business. Just get in our car, going from one place to the next. Consumed with thoughts about us. I mean, so much so that, you know, we go out. Some of you guys like to hike. You like to be outside. We go to Colorado. And it's so funny. It's so funny. We go to places like this. And we stand, you know, wow, it's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, um, let's hike now. <laughs> let's mountain bike. Let's go fishing. You know what you should do is go fishing. Let's enjoy the great outdoors. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Enjoy the glory of God. We just do everything, everything that we can to make it about us. We find that his glory is apparent to us in the filling of his spirit. In the filling of his spirit. For those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, our spirit has been quickened by his spirit. We've been made alive. And now we are the dwelling place of the living God. His Holy Spirit moves inside of us. It gives us the ability to th see things and see our reality in terms of spiritual truth. And so, and so, you know, when we come into worship, that's a perfect place for our spirit to be stirred. And we, and we sing the words off of the, of the lyrics off the screen. And we sing those things before God. And, you know, in, the, in one moment, it's funny, we, in one moment we meet with God. But by the next verse, we're, th we're starting to think about ourselves again. We're supposed to be praising God. We're supposed to be blessing his holy name. And we're standing there, we're praising, we're like, oh, this is so wonderful. And you know what? I've got so much to do after church today. I wonder... Is so-and-so so -and -so here? I wonder if they're here yet. You know, hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Man, it's a shame how selfish we can be when his glory is all around us. And his glory is apparent to us in the testimony of his work in our lives and in the lives of other people. When we, when we consider all the ways in which God has changed our lives, all the ways in which God has moved on our behalf, and we consider, man, just how wonderful he's been to us and, and how things used to be versus how things are now. And, and we hear the testimonies of our brothers and sisters in Christ whose lives have been like just incredibly altered. There's stories of people in this room who've struggled with addiction. People in, in this room who've struggled with broken families and, and lifestyles that were destructive. There's people in this room who had uh, no purpose in life. They were completely aimless and, and they were going their own direction until they met Jesus Christ and he gave them purpose. He gave them a family. He gave them love and acceptance and he gave us all of those things and we, we, we hear those testimonies we glory in God. But you know what? From day to day, we don't think about all the ways in which God has been good to us. We journal in our journal, and then we move on to the next day. We journal in our journal, and then we move on to the next day. We don't ever go back and consider all the ways in which God has blessed us and moved in our midst and affected and changed the very nature of our lives. God has been good to us. He has been glorious on our behalf, and we should bless his holy name. And when we fail to do that, everything begins to fall apart. And so as Paul opens his letter, he begins by declaring God's blessedness. And then he moves directly into the topic of God's eternal blessings. Blessings in heavenly places. So here's our key point. Very first key point. Understanding your identity begins with understanding the identity of God. You can't know who you are until you first know who he is. And as we finish, I don't want to get too far ahead. You can't know all the glory that God's given you and all the blessing that God's given you. And you can't live in light of that until you first consider the glory and the blessing that he is by his very nature. So it has to begin here. It has to begin with understanding your identity within his identity. All right, now, now, now let's look on. Let's look on here. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay? Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And so, I, I, you know, I liken this passage uh, to the reading of a will. The reading of a will. Because what it's promising to us is blessings that are to come later on. Okay? Blessings that are intended to be claimed in heavenly places. And so it's a lot like the reading of a will. And so you have a, you know, maybe you have a great-grandfather or a grandfather, and uh, they've, they've, they've written you into their will and a lawyer calls you up and, and describes for you, hey, you're going to need to come down to the office and sign this will. Grandpa Joe, you know, he's, he's shoring up his will, you know. He's on his last leg, you know, Grandpa Joe. And, uh, and so he wants to make sure that he includes you within his will because there's going to come a moment in time where, where all the things that belong to Grandpa Joe 
are going to belong to you. Now, as much as we don't like the idea of losing Grandpa Joe, I mean, there's something to be excited about. Okay? That he's thought about you, that he's considered that he loves you enough to provide for you security and blessing by which the knowledge of alters the way in which you see your reality. Let's imagine for a moment that Grandpa Joe is going to leave you a million dollars. Okay? Just imagine for a moment how knowing that, well, some of, you, some of you would start putting like radiator fluid in Grandpa Joe's drinks. Some of you are that twisted. You'd be like, let's expedite this process. No, I don't think anybody's that twisted. I just watch too much Forensic Files. So, um, no, but, but what that would do for you is that you would think, man, you know what? I know, I know that I've got to go to college and, and, and I've got, you know, you know, maybe you're married and you've got a family and you, there's all these costs, a mortgage and things like that. But the knowledge that Grandpa Joe has left something to you begins to change in which the, the way in which you think. Now, hopefully, that doesn't cause you to be abusive financially. It doesn't cause you to act stupid and ignorant. You know, the Bible talks about the knowledge of what God's done for us in terms of his grace shouldn't lead us to sin and indulge in sin. The Bible says, God forbid. God forbid that knowing what God has given you would, would ever leave, lead you to just sin, knowing that heaven has already been secured for you. You got that thing wrapped up. And so now you can just do whatever you want. God forbid. Knowing that Grandpa Joe has left you a million dollars shouldn't lead you to go spend all kinds of money and rack up all kinds of bills and charges that, that you should never have. No, what it should do is it should provide you with security knowing that one day you will have that money and it will affect your life in a positive way. Okay, does this make sense to everybody? Yeah. That God has shored up, he's secured for us blessings in heavenly places that one day we will be able to claim. And that should excite us and it should change the way in which we engage with our world and our reality. God has chosen us to be the recipients of spiritual blessings that will be available to us in heaven. And from the foundations of the world, he has made us to receive blessings that are attained the moment we stand before him within the heavenly realm. So let's talk about what those things are. What's it say? What's the passage tell us? Verse 4 says that we should be holy. That when we stand before God in heavenly places, that we should be holy. The word holiness means distinct, set apart, set apart as righteous and divinely justified. Now, holiness is something that only God embodies. It's something that only he understands. See, humanity is deficient in this way. Sin has corrupted us. And so we are not holy. We are not holy. Psalm 14, 3 they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. This is speaking of humanity. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's you. That's you and me. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. In other words, there is none that is right. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who we are. That's the curse. That's the sin curse. But for the saint, for the believer, for the one who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, his divine holiness is bestowed upon us. He has bestowed upon us through salvation holiness. Holiness in our soul and holiness in our spirit, but not yet holiness, holiness in our body. Now, Sam talked about this in the last service. I don't know if you caught that. Okay, he, did a, he covered a lot of ground for me, but for those of you who weren't there, the idea is this, that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you recognize what he did for you on the cross, that he, that he extended to you perfect forgiveness, that all of your sin would be absolved. You put your faith in that work. Then what happens is the Spirit of God quickens your spirit, and you are made alive. What was dead is now made alive in God. And then he seals you at the spirit level, okay, that you might be redeemed one day. He forgives your soul. He makes your soul right. He justifies your soul. But your body is still yet in its corruption, which is why we still sin, despite the fact that we know Christ. Does that make sense? And so we still struggle with the sin nature. Our bodies are still jacked, still messed up, still doing things that we know we shouldn't. In Ephesians 1.13, if we jump ahead of ourselves a little bit, Paul says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Okay, it's the earnest on our inheritance. It's the down payment on our inheritance. Until the redemption... Okay, that's a future thing that's going to happen. When Jesus Christ returns for us and takes us home, he will make good on the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. In other words, though we are saved at the soul and spirit level, there's an aspect for which we still are in need of salvation at the bodily level. So the context here is that, is that there's coming a future day when every part of us will be redeemed in heavenly places. And one day his holiness will be our holiness in every way whatsoever. Paul reiterates this idea in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. What was corruptible will be made incorruptible and we shall be changed. There's still an aspect for which we are unchanged and we need to be changed. We need to be made holy through and through. Amen. 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Man, can you believe it? There is still goodness to be had. There is still blessing to be had. There's an inheritance that's waiting on us and it looks like holiness. It's so exciting to think about. If we continue on in verse 4, it also says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That not only the, the, the day that we stand before him, that we will be holy every part of us, but we will also be without blame. We will be without blame before him in love. 
It's his love that, that casts out blame. Now listen, on earth, you know, in our, in our reality now, we are all prone uh, to blame, aren't we? It's, you know, we can't seem to do anything right. Um, and, and the thing is that even when we do, even when, even when we do what's right, someone's going to blame us anyway, you know? Like you can do everything. You can see, seemingly have every relationship. Uh, you, 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 you seem to be blameless and you're kind to people. You're meek. You love them. Uh, you care for them. You serve them. You engage your hospitable. But then one moment by accident, you just didn't look their way uh, when they walked by you. And now you've been blamed, Right? And so someone can, even when, even when you are without blame in your behavior, you can, still be, you can still be blamed by someone who just wants to charge you in wickedness and in evil and surmising. Look, it's impossible. You can't avoid it. In this, in this world, in this reality, we are always going to be facing blame. On earth, we deal with accusations from people and we're constantly confronted with reminders that we aren't perfect. But the good news is that in the eternal realm, believers will stand before God without blame. Now look, again, our soul and our spirit are without blemish before the Lord. When he looks down at us, he sees his son Jesus Christ and his blood upon us. He sees us as clean. We are in clean garments at the spiritual level, at the internal level. But there's coming a day where even our body, our, our, our incorruptible body, will be without blame. It'll be without mar or blemish. In, in, in every way whatsoever, we will be without blame before the living God. Romans 4, 23 makes this really clear. Romans is, is, is very thorough in, in this topic. Uh, verse 23 says, Now it was written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So this word justification, justification is, is, is a very important word in scripture that reminds us that when God sees us, he sees us completely justified before him. It's just as if I had never sinned to begin with, completely clean. But check out Romans chapter 5, verse 18. It says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came, right? It's our sin that caused Christ to come upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification unto life. And so through Adam, we found sin, but through Jesus, we found justification, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto us death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So God has imputed to us righteousness. He has justified us. And one day we will stand before him without any blame, completely free. And that's going to feel real good. 
I mean, some of you right now, this very moment, are carrying, uh, carrying a lot of shame and blame. You're carrying a lot of, of, of baggage, the baggage of imperfection. You look at your life and you, and you just, you, you feel disappointed. You feel like you've messed up. You feel like you can't do anything right. And what we discover is that God has blessed us with a future in heaven that will be free of all accusation, even our own accusations. There will be no more blame because there will be no more sin. <laughs> there will be no more blame because there will be no more sin. <laughs> that, won't be, that won't be a burden or a fear anymore. Failure will be impossible. And so you'll stand before him without blame. It's a pretty wonderful thing. Now let's look at verse five. It says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so this third thing that we look at is that, is that we have been adopted, and because of that adopt, adoption, we discover that we're accepted in him. He receives us, and he accepts us. Now, now let's start here, though. I want to talk about this word predestined, okay? This word predestinated is an important word in this passage. Okay, now, let's, let's, let's do a little bit of uh, English grammar here for Melissa's sake. Okay, now, the prefix, the prefix pre means before, before. Pre means before. The word destined means that it was divinely appointed, predestined. It was before, we already know before the foundation of the world is what we're talking about. That's the reference here means that these things were divinely appointed. Now, the suffix ed means that it happened in the past. It happened way back. So what we know here is that, that before the foundation of the world, before the world was even established or created, that God appointed Christians to certain spiritual blessings. And these blessings were intended to be received in heavenly places. Okay, now this is why if we go back to the verse and it says, it says, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then what we see is a colon and then it says according. So this is a continuous thought. We see a thought that's being continued here. And so according to this future blessing, we discover that before the foundation of the world, God is Ensured for us in heaven, holiness and blamelessness and, and uh, adoption and acceptance. That we will receive those things in a heavenly realm and they will be good for us and it'll be a blessing, it'll be glorious, it'll be wonderful. So contextually, contextually speaking, this paragraph does not deal with our current salvation. 
This passage, this passage is about blessings that the believer receives in the future in heavenly places. It's not about what God's doing in our life this moment, though it should impact the way we approach this moment. So someone with a determinist or a Calvinist view of salvation will often insist that because the word, the word predestined somehow uh, implies God's sovereignty, that it must extend to the issue of soteriology or salvation. And it doesn't because context. Because of context. So now next week, next week we will come back together and we'll talk about the blessings of our salvation now, right? Because the, 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 the context changes and Paul begins to talk about our current salvation and what we have in God as we live now. Uh, but as we, as we see um, that this, this is dealing with the future. Now we must know that the scriptures uh, presuppose a free will. I mean, the entirety of the word of God presupposes a free will. The Bible says things like, you reap what you sow, which implies causality, which means you have a free will, which means you can do things like decide whether or not you're going to follow God. And I pray to God that in your free will and in your free agency that some of you would decide with your decider, with your brain that God gave you, and with the heart that you feel things with to follow Christ of a free will decision because you love him in return. That's my hope for you today. We aren't robots pre-programmed before the foundations of the world. We are Christians who God had thoughts about long before he ever made this world. He had thoughts about us. And those thoughts contained promises. And those promises mean heavenly uh, blessings in heavenly places for us one day. Understood? So here, when we read, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, we learn that in God's foreknowledge, before the foundations of the earth, he has prepared for us a future adoption through Christ, received in fullness in heavenly places. You know, I, I, I know that there's some of you in our ministry who've been adopted. You were adopted as, as children or maybe a little bit later in, in life, in your teen years or whatever. Now, adoption, adoption is cool, when you hear about the paperwork getting done and, and, and everything is filled out and by law, you are now adopted. That's cool. But it's so much cooler when you move your stuff into your adopted parents' home. When you get to move in and you say, this is my bedroom, this is my bedroom, and we're gonna do dinner together as a family, and we're gonna be with one another, we're gonna watch movies together, we're going to go on walks and we're going to be a family. See, that's cooler. Now, it's cool to hear that the paperwork's getting done. But it's so much cooler knowing that one day you will be in the presence of God fully accepted. So right now, our adoption, our adoption with Christ is only in part. It's only in part. It's at the soul and the spirit level. It's at the, in the internal level. We know that the paperwork's been done, that the deed has been done, that Christ died on my behalf and he's made me his child. I know that. I know I'm a child of God, but one day I will be physically present with the Lord and I will feel and know that I am his. What a glorious promise. 
Romans speak about this. Uh, Romans speaks about this future adoption explicitly. In Romans eight nineteen, it says, "For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth. It waiteth. We're waiting. We're waiting. We are creatures in wait for the manifestation of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation." groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Why? Why is it doing that? Because it's waiting for redemption. It's waiting for something to change. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Okay, what are the first fruits of the Spirit? It's everything that God has done for us now in this realm, in this temporal and earthly realm, the the, the saving of our soul, the saving of our spirit, the things that he's doing in our lives, the glory that we can see, the blessing that we receive. But listen to me, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Why? Because we are waiting for the adoption, a future work, the redemption of our body. Does this make sense to everybody? Am I I beating a dead horse? I want you to understand, biblically speaking, how this works. The Bible's very clear on it. So, so, So in our passage, we know that God is speaking about what he's going to do for us in the future. And the knowledge of those things is so wonderful to us, or it should be so wonderful to us, that it affects everything about our temporal reality. And that leads us to the next point, and that's this. Understanding your future estate establishes confidence in our current estate. Knowing that God has has promises that are waiting for us should impact the way that we live. See, we aren't holy, but he will one day Make us holy. We aren't blameless, but he will one day make us blameless. We are orphans, but he will one day adopt us into his eternal family. And we weren't accepted in this world. Do you know you're not accepted here? Do you know that you're a pilgrim and a stranger and an alien on this planet? This is not your home. We have not been accepted, but listen, he's made us accepted and we will one day experience the reality of being accepted by God our Father. You know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I had, a, there was seasons in my life I had a pretty rough go at it. And some of you can relate to this. You had, you had rough childhoods too. I remember as a little kid gripping my pillow so tight. And imagining the one day that I would hold Christ just like that. Because my life was, it was hard. And in those moments as a kid, I thought, man, this is terrible. But I knew in my, in my mind and in my heart that Christ was the one that could make it all right. 
And so with everything in my imagination, I would hold onto that pillow and think, you know, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good one day when I get to lay hold on Christ just like this. Never lose that way of thinking. Never, never lose that foolish hope. Never stop considering all the things that God has done for you in heavenly places. And let that be your confidence in the way in which you approach the hardships of this world. See, this knowledge of the future produces in us the ability to live confidently and to take on the nature of these promises even now. Jams. So, Jesus, uh, I want to flip this on us for a second. So we've been talking about what God has promised for us, but I want to flip it. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew. And he models for us a way of praying that brings these future promises into our everyday reality. This is what he says, Matthew 6, 9 says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Okay? There's a hope of a future thing. There's a future kingdom, right? And I hope that it comes. Like, I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited about the day that Jesus Christ returns for, for us. Man, kingdom come. And the sooner that holiness and blamelessness thing and that adoption thing takes place, the sooner that happens, the better. But in the meantime, pray this. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I can lay claim on those future promises in the way in which I engage here even now. In Colossians, God calls us to set our hearts to live in light of eternity. Colossians 3.1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Well, what are the things above? Well, the things in heavenly places, the promises, the blessings that he's given us that we're hoping in. Set your affection on those things, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Further, further in the Great Commission, Christ reminds us that he wants to empower us to live in light of an eternal reality. His, his power, Christ's power, bridges heaven and earth and makes us able to do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Listen to what it says, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus himself is the bridge between the eternal realm and the earthly realm. And because of that, because of that, he says, so based on the fact that I'm for you, I'm with you, and I've got power in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Even, even until you lay claim on those heavenly things, I'm with you. And I've got all the power. I've got power of the heavenly realm. I've all of those promises. You can lay claim on those now. And you can live in light of those things even in this moment. So, so though we have a future hope for absolute holiness, unadulterated blamelessness, and unconditional eternal acceptance, we can truly live in light of that reality in this moment. So here's our key point. Our eternal identity must inform our temporal identity. So he says he's going to make us holy. But we should be holy. <laughs> we should be holy. Listen, this, uh, this is so important, guys. Listen to me. Kaya needs to hear this right now. Choose to live holy. Choose to live how God has called you to live. Don't wait on holiness. Be holy. 1 Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, which means lifestyle. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves now. Oh, but I've been cleaned. Right? Spotless garments. Jesus sees me as his, our God sees me as his son Jesus. He, he sees me forgiven. I'm, I am clean, right? No, 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 no. We're talking about sanctification. We are talking about your daily living. Having these promises that we've just been given. We've just been given these promises. Dearly beloved, because of that, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Hebrews 12, 9 says, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us. In other words, our parents, for just a short time, they disciplined us and they corrected us and they made us to act right. But, but, but he for our prophet, God, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God's not afraid to whoop your rear end into shape. He's not afraid to discipline you so that you understand that you're called to holiness even right now. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. When he does that, that's not fun. We don't enjoy that. It may even feel grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Don't wait on holiness. Be holy. Some of y'all 
let's, oh gosh, guys, some of you are, if you're the children of God, you, some of you are the brattiest children. Now, brats manifest many different ways. There's different kinds of brats. I mean, have you ever hung out at a playground? You see these kids? There are brats. There are brats that are very vocal about it. They talk back. They're snappy. Okay? Now, we may have a few of those in our midst. But, but the, the more prevalent form of brat is the brat is the, that is subtle in their behavior. And they hide the wickedness of their sin. And on the outside, they, they appear to choose holiness. But inside, they know that they are hiding wicked behavior. And some of us are that kind of bratty child. The Bible says that one day we will be without blame. But what about being without blame now? Choose to live blameless. Choose to live how God has called you to live. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live in such a way that you don't need to be ashamed. Live that way until the day in which he comes for you and makes you actually blameless. Behave yourself. <laughs> Behave yourself. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You know why some of you guys, your, your lights shine so dimly? Because you're not blameless. So one day you'll be adopted. One day you'll be actually accepted with Christ in heaven. That'll be a glorious day. But in the meantime, choose to live as accepted. Choose to live how God has called you to live. There's too many of us that are walking around all extra mopey all the time. The mopiest generation of people I ever experienced. I Man, I'm 41, which means I've lived through, this is like generation number three, maybe number four. My, my kids will be like generation number four that I've experienced. Of all the generations I've experienced, man, Gen Zers, Y'all are some mopey folks. Like, I, like emo music was like a big deal when I was in high school. Dashboard, confessional, and all this stuff. You guys know about this music? And then it was like Taking Back Sunday and like all this garbage, sad music. My Chemical Romance, garbage music. Okay? Y'all know you painted your fingernails black. Can you guys imagine goth Alex? Every generation has their favorite emo. Even in the 80s, it was like The Cure and stuff like that. All, everybody, sad, emotional music. But you know what, man? 
the, the number of prescriptions for antidepressants prove ain't nobody emo as you. And Christians walk around just sad, hopeless, aimless, and looking just like the world. Saying to, to yourselves, no one loves me, no one accepts me, no one's my friend. And it's just not true. <laughs> I mean, it's not true here because we love you, even though you're mopey and you walk around like Eeyore all the time. We still love you. But it's certainly not true as it concerns your heavenly father. You have been accepted. And your knowledge that you've been accepted, the knowledge that you've been adopted is enough to alter your reality and your countenance drastically even right now. The sky is not falling. You've been accepted. We haven't just been given a future adoption, but we have been given, given the spirit of adoption to bear witness to the future adoption. Look, the, the Bible's so cool. Okay, back to Romans. Romans is doing a lot today. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's how some of you live. In bondage. In bondage to your fears and your anxieties and your depression. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You've been adopted and thus you've been accepted in him. So labor and live to please him and be accepted of him. You are in him. You've been accepted in him. Now be accepted of him in your behavior. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So this is how we're going to close. Go ahead and worship team, go ahead and come up. We have a future blessing. Don't put away yet, please. We have a future blessing. And that future blessing should spill over and inform our current reality. Has that happened in your life? Or is your life filled with sin? Sin that you can't seem to shake. Some of you have been making excuses about the same sins in this ministry since the time that I met you. And you come and you're so bummed about it. You're so bummed out because you can't seem to stop doing that thing. You just keep going back to your wickedness. But here's the deal. If there's a problem with your holiness then that means that there's a problem with the way that you see God and his promises for you, period. You have a problem in, in, in the way that you see God. You know, Proverbs 26, 11 says that, that a dog returneth to his vomit, 
so as a fool returneth to his folly. And some of you just keep going back to the same sins over and over and over again because you are in a spirit of bondage, not in a spirit of adoption. Because you've forgotten that you have a father in heaven that cares about you and he has something for you. You don't scoff at his heavenly will for you. You embrace it and you live in light of it. If you saw God as your friend and you saw him as your husband and as the father who bestows a great inheritance on you, then I think you would very naturally live holy and blameless and and confident. And so here's the question. Do you need to repent today? Do you need to repent? Is there something that you need to let go of? And then accept, accept before the living God that he's done wonderful things for you, glorious things, blessed things that you don't deserve. And you are going to choose today to live in light of what he's done. If you need help, there'll be counselors up front. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Tough, tough study today, God. But I pray that it would have its perfect way. And that your word would work in our lives. And for those of us who need to repent of sin and to get it right, to make things right before you, stop hiding sin, quit tucking it away, quit acting like brats. Lord, that we would choose to live holy today. We would choose to embrace all the wonderful things that you've done for us. Help us, God. This is a work of your spirit. It's a work of faith. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.